Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 371. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? So DC Comics podcast, we get together and talk about the books we read this week and it is a dreaded week five, so expect mm-hmm. a weird list of books. We have this week in Night Terror, Night's End, issue one. We have Batman, Catwoman, The Gotham War, Battle Lines, issue one, or at least... I read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I dodged a bullet. Uh, we have Action Maybe. Comics Presents, the Doomsday Special, issue one. Uh, Matt went back and caught up on Tales of the Titans, Raven, issue one, from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I got a Patreon book uh, this week. Uh, I've got the first half of American Vampire Anthology, issue one, which, bonus for the patron, because Matt also decided to read that. Yep. So... You'll get uh, two of us talking about that book. So mm-hmm. uh, that is what's coming up on the show today. It is a week five, which means less books, but they're all like annual sized books. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a weird week. I, I never like a week five. I just feel like my the, the routine's off, you know? Like, For sure. It just it feels like extra stuff, you know? Uh, like Night Terrors. I know that's the end of the, the event, but it's essentially like, what, an issue seven? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, that is the silver lining here, though, is that it's yeah. over. Yep. <laughs> like yep, it's yep. done. We get to say goodbye to Night Terrors finally. We get back to mm-hmm. regular books next week, which is yep. delightful news. So it's, sure. not, it's not all bad, but certainly a weird week, as these week fives always are. But don't worry. Even in a weird week five, there is one part of the clock, one part of the cycle that forever spins, that forever will be there. This is my own personal nightmare stone. <laughs> and it is, of course, the Comixology Top 10, everyone! That's what we're going to start off with. Uh, we're looking at the current ranking of comics on Comixology. Uh, they're ranked in order of sold. They're split with Tuesday and Wednesday. So we'll look at Tuesday first, since that's the DC books. And then we'll have a glance at Wednesday as well to see mm-hmm. how the rest of the industry is faring. Matt, you got a guess for number one for Tuesday's books? I'm gonna I'm gonna go against better judgment and and say, Gotham War Batman Catwoman. It is. Oh wow! I mean, oh, to be fair, there was only three real contenders, and yeah. I feel like most people, well, not most, but certainly enough people probably have decided to hate Night's Terror, Night Terrors. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> it makes sense that that's they, not number one. They did not care how it ended. No, uh, that is number two though, as Night yeah. Terrors Night said. Number three is the Doomsday Special. Which is the exact... I mean, it was always going to be those three in the first three slots. Yeah. Um, and then we have Nort's Illustrated Swimsuit Special at number mm-hmm. four. Number five is the Riddler Year One. Number six is Sandman Universe Nightmare Country. And there's more title to that that I can't even read because it's too long. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we the have... Glass House, number four. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then we have something called... Then, Volume 1, Neverwhere, by Richard Corbin and Patton Oswald. What is this? Is it from DC? No, no, no. That's so, oh. There's so few books on, on this Tuesday that on some Tuesday. non-DC books have sprinkled in. So, huh. uh, I would guess a graphic novel, but that's a, a yeah. fake. First volume what, presenting the, the long... What's the publisher? Out, out of print. Oh, uh, let me see, let me see. Where is it? Publisher's Dark Horse. Oh, good for them. Yeah, uh, this is a long out of print uh, masterpiece. Uh, interesting. So this is an old, this is a collection of an old comic. Then it's just doing that well. Yeah. Uh, so on League of Comic Geeks, only when I click over, it's uh, 
Star Wars Hyperspace Stories number eight, and Black Hammer the end. So that's all that came up on my end. Uh, well, I imagine this is the this isn't so this is a trade or collection, mm-hmm. meaning that it won't be uh, the same as the direct comic market. I guess right. this might be just when it released to the publish yeah. or to, to the the stores. Um, Regardless, it's here in the, the Cobbistology top there. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Catwoman Uncovered, which is just a collection of covers. So that tells you how how much we're scraping the barrel. Uh, and then the Star Wars The High Republic uh, collection. And then number 10 is the EC Archives Weird Science. Another collection there. So yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just basically trades. So week five of DC, there's just not enough to fill out a top 10. No. So... You got that, um, and then if you look at Wednesday, now Marvel tend to be a lot more just loosey-goosey with their scheduling, so they don't tend to have week fives like mm-hmm. DC do. It'll just be a smattering of, of whatever books are ready for that week. So uh, you got a guess as for what number? I'll, I'll look for an X book. Uh, I've got seed one, so I'm just going to go with what sounds like more of an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say Ultimate Evasion number three. That is correct. I did not think you were going to get that. <laughs> yeah, I had to double check to make sure there wasn't any hidden X books. I mean, there's a Wolverine book. Yeah. I thought you might guess yeah. that. Yeah, no, but I'm looking for, you know, any of these big, you know, sounding, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, when you, when it, something feels like it, it, it's a bigger deal than it is. Pretentious, oh. I guess. <laughs> you know, I was looking for a big pretentious title. You know, the, the whole House of X type stuff so uh, yeah ultimate invasion they're actually pulling through with that huh uh, i guess i don't know i have really not been paying attention to uh what marvel events are going on right now uh number two is miss marvel the new mutant uh mm-hmm. issue one so yeah, this is them finally mutinizing miss marvel uh kamala can part of me feels bad for charles soul and I, I know he didn't create the character but the whole idea of the inhumans like Marvel really bought into the idea that the Inhumans were going to be the next mutants, right? Mm. So making her an Inhuman and now going back and retconning, that is just, it's kind of funny to me. It makes you feel bad for the Inhumans as a property. Oh yeah, them retconning Kamala to be a mutant instead of an Inhuman mm-hmm. is the death knell in any mm-hmm. like respect that they, that company shows the Inhumans. Like, yep. There was a belief at one point, and let's be honest, it's because they didn't have the movie rights to X-Men uh-huh. and they had yep. Inhumans, so they were trying to push Inhumans. But now that they've got the X-Men and now that you know, Inhumans in general as an idea mostly has flopped, yep. uh, it's like, yeah, no, no, no. She's, 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 a, she's a mutant now. She was always a mutant. Yeah. Forget it. Don't, don't, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I wonder if they adjusted her powers too to match more of the TV show slash movie than just the the stretchiness. I don't know. So no yeah. idea. If uh, you do know, hit us up. We'll hit uh, me up anyways. Number three is Marvel Age issue one thousand. Uh, I suspect that's not a real issue one thousand. I, I think they're I being know. cheeky with that that number. Uh, number four is Wolverine issue thirty six. Uh, these blades are on fire, but it looks of it. Yeah. So that's uh, that's nice for him. Uh, number five is Incredible Hulk issue three, and that's Philip Kennedy Johnson's run. So mm-hmm. I'm a little curious about that. Uh, number six is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Number seven is Moon Knight Annual. Uh, number eight is Blade issue two, and then number nine is Conan the Barbarian, and number ten is World Tree issue five, and that's a James Tynan. Uh, the fourth mm-hmm. uh, book. So, uh, a couple, you know, we got Power Rangers and Indy and uh, Conan 
Maybe Conan still counts as a... No, because that's Marvel now, isn't it? Uh, this one, this Conan book uh, is listed at Titan. Was oh, it Titan? So, oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so. they def- Marvel did do a Conan book at one point, though, didn't they? They did, because it was Jason Aaron, and, I, right, and I read right. part of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, is that a vacuum cleaner we're here? Yeah, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yell. Let me uh, hold on. <laughs> Get the mic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just hearing this slight high pitched whirl, and I'm like, what is that? What is that? It's a vacuum. Oh, he's getting up. Oh, this is. Oh, he's always shutting the door. All right, it's a whole process. Um, how have I talked enough not to have to go back and edit this? I think so. Welcome back, Matt. <laughs> there we go. And I guess that'll do the Comixology Top 10. I have nothing to add. So, very good. Uh, not much news this week. A uh, couple of little... Well, this one's not little, I suppose. but Because uh, we do have to, unfortunately, say goodbye to someone. Uh, Arlene Sorkin, the original voice mm-hmm. of Harley Quinn, passed away. Uh, right. So this is, this is some sad news. Only 67 years oh, old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, and obviously with Kevin Conroy already passing mm-hmm. away, it does kind of, you know, it does feel like... I feel like my childhood, particularly like the stuff I liked in the 90s, mm-hmm. is, is kind of hitting a lot of bad news these yeah. days, you know. So, the Green so Ranger wasn't Hamill, that long ago, yeah. Yeah, the Green Ranger. Say, so put Mark Hamill in bubble wrap, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, so, yeah, this is rough to, rough to hear. Um, yeah. So... Not, not much to add, really, just obviously... No, I mean, she's... She definitely... Every every person that's done Harley since, you know, has to try to write in that voice because it's so ubiquitous. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a certain pacing. Even on the Harley animated show, there's a bit of her in Kaylee Cuoco's delivery because um, I feel like that's just, you know, in the DNA of Harley. So, uh, yeah, that's a big-time bummer. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she like obviously it was a new character, so maybe it's easier to leave your stamp. Yeah. But yeah, like those those elements of that character performance that have just been there. It's kind of like how in wrestling, like Howard Finkel always emphasized the "and you" when he was announcing the winner uh-huh. of the title match, and how every announcer since then has yep. emulated that exact thing. He just made that like a thing you have to mm-hmm. do. And with Harley Quinn, it feels like there's yeah, there's certain things about her delivery that just at least an animated form. They've, yep. they've always adhered to um admittedly it is a little bit harder in live action to constantly have yeah. that type of voice but mm-hmm. yeah so but i feel like margot robbie did kind of her she added her flavor onto it uh in her three appearances as harley so uh but yeah no so like you're saying it is the the kind of childhood stuff because you brought up the green ranger and you know all these different you know 90s people now it's I don't like that it's making me feel my age. So oh yeah, much. it's making me feel old for sure. Uh, so uh, and then this is this is the last news per se, but I, I know David Ayer's been talking a lot about uh, oh no, his Suicide Squad, and he did an interview this past week, uh, talking about uh the movie was a breaking point for him in Hollywood. Uh, he said, and I quote, Hollywood. I tell people is like watching someone you love get effed by someone you hate. <laughs> uh, the theatrical cut that got released um, was, you know, butchered effectively. Uh, which, to be fair, like it feels butchered when you watch it. Um, it it does, but like that movie, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what how how much 
bigger of a print that could have saved that movie. No, because uh, the reason why I even put this in is because I know just like a couple of weeks ago as well, he put out like a photo of the original concept he had for Joker, mm-hmm. but it still had a tattoo in his forehead. It yeah. Was, it said something different, but it was still the same thing. Yeah, it's all this edginess. And like, I appreciate some of his, you know, he did do was it Training Day. Was that his first thing? Well, you know, he, didn't, I he didn't direct that, I don't think. No, 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 but. no. But he wrote that, and so there's. I understand him wanting to bring an urban kind of toughness vibe to the to the Joker, and but I just don't feel like that's Joker. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I know. I understand what he was trying to do, but I don't think what he was trying to do was correct for the character, regardless. Um. So yeah, man. Ugh. The the less the less about that, the better. People were talking about the air cut, and I was like, I just. <laughs> I haven't I haven't had a chance to see Blue Beetle yet, you know. Despite hearing things from people that I trust, that it's a fun time. Uh, the Flash is sitting currently sitting on Max, and I'm dreading watching that because I'm going to, eventually, you know. But yeah, I, I don't know if I am honestly. Yeah. I, it's, it's... I, hope, I hope you stick through that. Because I I mean I thought I'd end up hate watching it as a, as a stream at some point. Mm-hmm. But even my stream audience were like, ah, we don't really want to. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay, well, in that case, yeah. I don't really care then either. <laughs> yeah. So just one of those things. It's just DC movie fan right now. It's kind of kind of rough times. At least at least we have uh, the Batman, you know? Yeah, I, I think um, it's probably not unlikely that at some point I will watch it for some type of content, but there's no plans right now. Yeah. And if I ever do it, it'll be purely for the sake just, of the the, and, the entertainment value of me complaining about it afterwards. Yeah, I have I have a hard time every time I go to click on it, and there's the actor that's playing the Flash looking back at me, and I just it doesn't make me feel good knowing how much of a dirtbag he is. Um, so yeah, and if it was just one of these things, like uh, it's kind of an afterthought movie, you know, I I thought through Shazam too. I thought it was okay. Uh, I'll sit through the Flash if it was literally any other actor. So that's a bummer. Oh well. Okay. Well, let's not depress everyone too much. No. With, uh, uh, not, not too depressed. I just wanted to point out too that uh, this week marked the 12th year anniversary of the New Fifty Two. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't like knowing that because uh, it does not feel like it was 12 years ago. Talk about feeling um, old. Yeah, buddy. Uh, a post came across my, my Facebook memories, and it was, you know, Flashpoint 6 or 7, I forget which issue, and then Justice League 1. They came out on the same day, and and it was from 12 years ago. So, oh, man, just, just wild times. That's kind of nuts, um, yeah. which also means that Rebirth was seven years ago in May, which is mm-hmm. also insane. Yep, uh, yep. People said this show wouldn't last. <laughs> yeah, that, one of those people were me. I took the wrong bet. I took the wrong bet. <laughs> Here we are, 2023. Yep. Struggling on. All right, well, let's get into the comics then. Mm-hmm. We'll start off with Night's Terror, Night's End, Issue 1, Joshua Williamson, and I believe four different artists uh, yeah. on this particular book. So... Yep, that's the thing. Um, right, so full confession, I did read this. But don't worry, I, I did. I didn't check it out. Yeah. But I read this as I was lying in bed, and I was kind of in oh, that. Oh no! I read that. I read this in a state where 
I was really tired but couldn't sleep, but I was getting sleepy as I was reading that. So we'll see how much of this I remember as so we, in, as we Insomnia really was attacking you in your sleep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This opening scene with the, the family coming in and talking to uh the the little girl about her nightmares mm-hmm. that she's she's having nightmares of the superheroes. I, uh yeah. There's there's parts of the that I don't like that one I don't mind. I just wish it didn't do like the the formulaic type thing, right? Oh, monsters aren't real, and then monsters, you know, kick in the door, you know. Like I don't know. I just wish Williamson wouldn't just always take the the low hanging fruit. I guess. Hmm. I mean, I don't. This bookend with this family uh, and the little girl being scared of the superheroes and the the, the parents writing mm-hmm. it off as monsters, but then realizing that they all have this shared connection of insomnia being in all their dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's fine enough. And the fact that it comes back to it at the end, and it's like insomnia won because enough people are starting to like, you know, the, 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 it's, it's convinced enough people that they are a little bit scared of the Justice League and they're scared of people with superpowers. And that he's because he's planted that fear, he kind of won. And I like that conceptually. I think mm-hmm. this book does not earn that ending at all. Um, yeah. it, like they just sort of say it at the end and I'm like wait but literally all we've had is this one family and mm-hmm. we've had no idea like did we not get to see like what he was showing pe- like show us what they're seeing show us like the bad things the heroes not- are doing right exactly instead of just making it you know this catch all because of the you know infinite crises right that mm-hmm. have happened because uh, that's what it, I feel like it's pulling from it's pulling from our collective knowledge of all the stuff that must have happened in the DC universe uh, over and over again. So again, yeah, conceptually, like you said, I get, I don't, but a lot like Williamson stuff, uh, the execution's just not there. Yeah. And this issue is mostly just a big fight issue. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fighting with a lot of very back and forth, mm-hmm. different art styles. A lot of the art I do not like. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Uh, a good bit of it revolves around Dead Man, where Insomnia tries mm-hmm. to give him a, a, a fake family as a, a reward for like helping him yeah. find the Nightmare Stone. Um, but of course, the others are trying to talk Dead Man out of it. Um, so, oh my god, is it? Uh, so I'm on a page. I, I don't even know how to describe the page so you mm-hmm. know which one I'm on. It's page 13, apparently, according to my uh, thing. Uh, but so the middle of the page is like a. Like, I think that's Zatanna who's swiping a sword, but it sort of created yeah. kind of like a disc around Batman and Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. The panel underneath that, where Superman's standing in the foreground, that is one of the worst panels I have yeah. seen in the comic book in quite some his, time. Uh, Superman's hair looks like it's eating his head. I mean, obviously Superman's body looks horrendous, but look at Wonder mm-hmm. Woman behind him. Look at, the, yeah. like, she's got a squiggle on her face, and that's the, mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> that's all the detail yeah. you get. Yeah, I don't know who the artist on that one is because that's uh, the same art style. It almost looks like really messy Howard Porter. Like it was Howard Porter in a rush. Yeah, it's not Howard Porter though. I don't think on this book. Yeah, uh, no, I think it is. Is it? Is Howard Porter yeah. in the? Oh yes, okay. Howard Porter is one of the names. So I'm wondering if that is him. It probably is him. Then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the art style in general looks kind of Howard Portery, but it, it mm-hmm. does feel very rushed. It feels like. Yeah. Uh, time was of the essence, and he yeah. just had to. And he had to. This is a lot of characters on all these fighting yeah. pages. So he, he's well, really. Well, go to the next page, which is a double page spread, and it's still, it's a little bit more clean. But I mean, hoof, definitely yeah. abstract, you know. 
Yeah, so you know, obviously they're able to sort of snap Dead Man out of it, and Dead Man uh, eventually kind of pops out. And Joe, you know, you know what gets me is that so we've had all these tie-ins, and mm-hmm. like there's one moment where it's like Zatanna and Dead uh, Robot Man, sorry, are mm-hmm. together in a couple panels, and like, hey, Zatanna, it's our old friends, the Sleepless Nights. It's like, yeah, I hate these guys. Or hate magic. And I'm like. That entire backup was just a build-up for three panels where they acknowledge that they've spent time together. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, all that I'll tied tell into. You how much of a big deal that that what was it, issue two or three made of the sleepless nights, and they were really a non-factor. In fact, do you? Even, I barely see them in this comic. Yeah, they're, they're probably mm-hmm. in some of the big splash pages, but I, like, yeah. I, I feel like they're hardly there. Like, they're these characters they try to build up that we don't even know their names. We're not even spending right. time on fighting them, yeah. never mind right. like actually developing right. characters out of them. Right. So, uh, although I do like, you know, Dead Man sitting down with the family and being like, oh, this is lovely, but this isn't like what I want. This is not my dream. This is insomnia's. This is what he wants. So I, I do like Boston putting that together, um, you know, and then insomnia trying to play on Boston's loneliness uh, it's it's a yeah. conceptual thing, uh, or sorry, it's mm-hmm. an execution thing that I think mm-hmm. here, because, yeah, that sounds fine, but yeah. then it turns into Insomnia ripping Dead Man apart as if he's somehow yeah. destroying him, and mm-hmm. then, like, a few pages later, you know, once Sandman's got the, uh, the, the Dream Stone to try and combat uh-huh. the Nightmare Stone and all that, Dead Man just shows up, and is like, yeah. oh, that was an act, you destroying me, I used to play Dead in part of my show. Uh, this just feels yeah. more like this is more of Williamson's just kind of writing himself mm-hmm. into corners and then writing himself out of corners and something that doesn't like I don't even know why we had to do this bit where he looked like he was destroyed like yeah. why, why not just have him come out like you know have him be with the family like he's being tricked like he's mm-hmm. accepting the offer and yeah. then have the big moment where he like breaks free of that be this moment where he comes out and helps save the day and right. the only answer I've got is that they needed like another six pages in between them to fill with stuff so yeah. let's make it look like he kills him and then he comes back and he's like no no I was just faking it but how could we know you were faking it you literally shattered into pieces like you were glass like mm-hmm. you know that's just it's disingenuous to the reader because it's nothing that we can immediately accept as or understand how he faked it or how it worked at least when you know someone seems dead and it's a good twist that they're actually still alive and the rare case where that happens it tends to work because you immediately understand how they pulled it off right they'll they'll like still mm-hmm. give you one detail and it'll all just click you're like oh, okay they slowed the heart rate down for this thing or they um they tricked us because the, the sensor was only there for temperature and he had like thermal clothes right. on or something I don't, whatever it may be like this is as you were just doing your justification of things, I just checked, and from the time that he rips him, right? Yeah. That that whole section, it's ten pages worth of stuff, because it's four where him and uh, Dead Man get get into the fight, and then um, it's six until the time that he comes back. Yes, so, and of course, this is all just so we can actually seemingly kill Dead Man a few pages yep. later after that, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. he sacrifices himself. Um, you know, taking care of insomnia, yeah. uh, get into like a bright white light. It's a whole big thing. Um, yeah, I mean, Sandman tries to talk him out of it, but yeah, um, yeah. but he, he makes a sacrifice. He finally gets his death that he's been wanting, um, mm-hmm. and it's a whole thing. Um, and insomnia like has these visions of his family, uh, 
you know, basically he's in his own private hell with his family on fire and they're like dragging him like like they're zombies yeah. um but yeah dead man's gone though so dead man seemingly for now has ceased to exist with his sacrifice mm-hmm. um which you know like it's fine i guess but he's going to come back because they always do and yeah, it just, just kind of feels that we spent all this time building him up just to kill him at the end of it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, or, or to see where his next adventures, you know, where's he going to pop up next? Because uh, they do make a big deal of him saying his deal with Ramakrishna was done lifetimes ago. That, you know, he's tired of being mm. the audience. He wants to take more of a hands-on. So it wouldn't surprise me if we get some type of miniseries, at least. You know, the further ad- adventures of Dead Man, you know, where... Because uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in the Doomsday uh, special, but, like, this whole idea of good and evil and what that represents, you know, the, the god figures, like, like you know, Big G God and, and the devil, what that represents uh, in, in DC um, and what the afterlife is. So I could almost see, like, Dead Man here, this being, like, his – he's paid his penance now. And he gets to, you know, have the, the piece that he wants. And if that piece is him being able to go out on adventures and not be tied to, you know, possessing people or whatever. And, you know, I could see that fully being that, yeah. that doorway. Uh, so. Wesley Dawes goes back to his grave. Uh, and talk about the art change being drastic. When you go to that page and it's all these <laughs> very flat, clean... Like, I mean, the art's good on that page. But, yeah. like, shifting from the very kind of messy Howard Porter looking stuff in the previous page... Mm-hmm. Uh, is is quite a, a jolt, um, and then Batman collapses. Apparently, having mm-hmm. Dead Man in him for so long, piloting him, is taking a lot out of him, uh, and this mm-hmm. leads straight into the uh, the Batman Catwoman book because it starts off with him uh, still asleep. From oh, this. okay. Uh, so I'll just I'll leave that for that for more discussion, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Superman and Wonder Woman shut down the Hall of Justice, and they talk about how. Insomnia kind of one because that little girl at the start is throwing away her superhero drawings because she's scared of them. Um, and the book ends... Kids, kids are fickle, though. She'll be oh, back. Sure. And yeah. the, the book ends with a tease for the next event, which is Beast World. Uh, Amanda Waller is working with someone. She's actually quite happy with Insomnia did because she likes that everyone hates the superheroes. And we have someone whose identity is unknown. In fact, they specifically say they can never know who I am, so let the speculation mm-hmm. begin. Uh, but he's giving the Helmet of Hate and the Nightmare Stone, and he becomes Dr. Hate. And he's I'm wor- Dr. Hate, because I hate this. <laughs> he's working with Amanda Waller, and this is going to be part of Beast World. I was looking forward to Beast World. I don't really yes. like the concept of Doctor Hate, but we'll see. We'll see what Taylor and Co do with it because we've got better people involved with that. At like least. the idea of there being an evil Doctor Fate, right? I, I get, but again, this is the Dreamstone to the Nightmare Stone mm-hmm. yeah. type stuff. And like, and again, someone someone swiped the Nightmare Stone. It's got to be one of our characters, right? That was there. However, knowing what we know about this this Beast World stuff and the stuff that we were setting up with uh with tempest as aqualad and mm-hmm. stuff i wouldn't be surprised if he's the traitor here um from oh, some babe. of the stuff that we've seen with with you know in the titans book so is he big enough know. though for this like this feels like a bigger reveal whoever this is going to be it, it does but i just i don't know does I'm anyone care if, if the mask comes off and it's tempest oh no it's the first aqualad like oh yeah, we're no, all chaos. probably not 
But I was just trying to go off of the story beats that Tom Taylor's yeah, no, given us. That's you fair. Know? That's fair. Uh, um, it does. But yeah, like, it, it specifically says that Waller wants to go after the Titans because the Justice yeah. League has been dealt with effectively. So Yeah. Well, she's going to have a hard time because the Titans are more of a family than Justice League is, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. They're more you know, you, bonded. Yeah, you can divide and conquer the Justice League as we've seen numerous times. The Titans are a little bit more. Talk to Slade. I, I think what you said there, though, is, is right. That's Dr. Hate. It feels... First of all, he looks kind of goofy and really overly 90s, but he it does feel like the Nightmare Stone to the Dreamstone. It feels like... Because it can be done well, and the good example mm-hmm. of it is when Johns took the Green Lantern and said, let's have the spectrum of light, and the idea yep. that each of the seven colors that make up white light mm-hmm. all have a different thing associated with them. And obviously that expanded Green Lantern immensely, and that felt yeah. like a really smart trick. I feel like this is the really dumbed-down version of it, is that well, we have the good version of a thing, let's have mm-hmm. the very bad version of the thing. And it can work. There's obviously, like, yeah. Reverse Flash as a, as a character works, absolutely. But right. Yeah. But we're looking at that with, the, with the hindsight of it, and it's just like, knowing what I know about Dr. Fate and the Helm of Naboo and the Lords of Order, Lords of Chaos, it's just not as simple as to take something called the Helm of Hate... And to combine it with the mind, and to give us what looks like Doctor Fate, like you know it, what I mean, like yeah, I, try to try to change up the design just a little bit, you know. Yeah, I would just... say make him look different, and I think honestly the biggest problem here mm-hmm. is that he's called Doctor Hate. See, see if uh-huh. they just called him something else, and uh-huh. then it was revealed through story beats. No, this is literally the opposite of the Helmet of Fate. This is guys, this mm-hmm. guy's an evil Doctor Fate. I think yeah. that would work. I think calling him Doctor Hate makes it sound really cheap and cheesy yeah. and gimmicky and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it was that if Johns, instead of calling it the Sinestro Corps, he just called it the Yellow Lantern Corps. You know, there, there's a bit more creativity that Sinestro named it after himself, right? Being the, you know, uh, dictatorial type brain that he has. So, I don't know. I just, I got to this page and like, I don't even hate the, the design. I just wish that it didn't look just like evil Dr. Fate. You know, like the purple and the reds and the, the grays and stuff, that all looks, you know... Like, like a bad guy but you get up to the to the helm and i'm just like all right this is a little bit too spot on so and just with waller man i get it waller's got her hands in everything why i'm starting to the point where i want to know why what what is she doing what is she paving the way for <laughs> you know? i think she just generally always has this like drive and we we're never going to get to the point where she pulls off whatever she's trying to do or if they ever do it'll be a major event because oh waller yeah. finally gets her way and that'll be a story arc right. <laughs> i just like i understood her in the pages of checkmate raccoon rucko was writing her where this is her job is just to to sow chaos right i just when you when you start involving her into all of the superhero-y affairs and she's trying to destroy the justice league and undermine them and all this other stuff. I just have to wonder. It doesn't seem to be working in to get her what she wants because she's not that she's not Lex Luthor. She's not a megalomaniac that she wants control over, over everything. She just wants to call shots. So um, I think the problem am, is when the writer like this, it does feel like she has that though. Yeah, I know. So it just and it, it just doesn't feel because even even in we talked about it in Dark Knights of Steel last where you know it feels like Waller's going to be the big bad through there, and we know that there's. I understand her point of view if that book continues after, you know, 12, where she, why she stands against this league that is formed. So here I just feel like she's doing villain things. Yeah. I so. think, 
Yeah, the, I feel like this idea of her being an evil Nick Fury is always kind of the vibe that DC yeah. went for, which is that she hates the superheroes. She can see them as being useful, which is why the Suicide mm-hmm. Squad exists, but it's right. all about control and all these right. other things. I think it's, it's one of those... It's, uh, I've heard this, you know, the, the flanderization of a character where they, they start off with a few notable quirks. quirks and stuff but then eventually those quirks become just what the character is rather than anything yeah. else so they're just there to do their thing it kind of feels like that with amanda waller where mm-hmm. she was a bit more nuanced as a character she was you know i want to say she was like super realistic myself and i've never yeah. read those original suicide squad books to like yeah. see exactly what she was like back in the day but even just from you know that post-crisis time period that we were kind of reading mm-hmm. originally with it does feel like she's just turned more and more into the two-dimensional, I hate superheroes, I want to control everything, and I'll do anything. I'll work with any bad guy to achieve that goal. Uh, it feels like she's just pivoted a little bit more and more towards that gradually as time has went on to the point where that's all she is. She's just comically villainous, yeah. basically, at this point. Yeah. And that's a shame. Well, this is the, yeah, this is the second... Uh, second Williamson event that has ended with Amanda Waller being, okay, the next part of the plan... And I just, I'm, I'm just bored with the tediousness of it. Cause yeah. yes, I want to know what, I want to know what Waller's plan is, but I'm, you know, uh, I don't know. It just, it's again, it's execution. Conceptually, I like it. Execution wise, it needs some work. All right. Well, in that case, uh, well, actually, I should probably actually list where they are. I swear on that. Book, <laughs> since there was so bloody well, many well, we do them. know one of them was Howard Porter. And I think Cammy Coley was another. Oh, cause in tight. Pardon me. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the four artists in the book were Giuseppe Camincoli, Trevor Hairstein was in there, Howard Porter, and Stefano Nisi. Uh, Nisi and Camincoli have been two of the artists that have been on the book, the main Night Terrors book. I think Hairstein and Porter are both new for this mm-hmm. final issue. I think Hairstein, the only Hairstein art I saw was the stuff that was reminiscent of Deceased with uh, Insomnia mm. when, when his family attacks him and everything's on fire. But I think that was meant to, you know, make us think of deceased, you know, uh, yeah. with the whole zombie of zombification of things. So, but but yeah, man, not not Porter's best work, and I usually like Howard Porter for the most part. Um, he was... worked with Williamson a lot on Flash, so. Yeah, I think it's just a case of it being rushed. Some of those, mm-hmm. like, it's there was clear. This page is important. I'm going to put a lot of effort out of this page, and then this yep. page of small panels, I'm just it's going to have not. to rush. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to draw one of them as a squiggle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, what are you rating that? Uh, this is a, a 5 out of 10. Yeah, I agree with that. 5 out of 10. It's, uh, you know, I've read worse, but it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a lot of fluff, and there's frustrating elements to it. There's not a whole lot to outright recommend. All right. Batman, Catwoman, the Gotham Moor Battle Lines issue one. See when you've got two colons in your title, yeah. you're, you're, and a, and a forward slash as well, for that matter. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe too too much of a title is uh, I'll say. But anyway, this is Chip Zarsky and Tini Howard writing with Mike Hawthorne on the art. So yeah, so I wasn't obviously excited for for this. Um, needless to say and to be honest there was a chance I might have skipped it but because it was on a week five and there was only a couple other books I thought yeah. well I should read let's see what's happening um, so I, the premise is it's actually you know it's, it's kind of similar to what we were saying about Williamson conceptually I see a lot of good here mm-hmm. but 
execution uh, is, you know, whatever. And I, I'm not super into Hawthorne's art. I do think it's a little bit uh, simplistic in places. I'm not a fan of his mouths or in general his faces. So it is very clean. It's not, it's not like Howard Porter where it's really messy looking. It's a very clean style, mm-hmm. but it's just the proportions and the way that the faces look just are not for me at all. Um, so the premise of this, right? So so Batman wakes up. It turns out he's been asleep for eight weeks after he fell asleep at the end of the night. Good night Lord, Paris. that's a good nap. It's a good nap, right? It's a there was good nap. Nothing physical wrong with him. It just been piloted by dead man made him that tired and he wakes up oracle fills him in a little bit um he's got a little sort of like dream where he's looking at uh zunr in his head and he's like hey is it time for me to take over and he's like no nah, you get back in your cage purple red batman i'm 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 getting up so get back in your box <laughs> so um yeah he wakes up and he immediately goes over to his bat suit oh well type of parole stretch the legs that he get things going also they acknowledge that he's missing a hand here because he's got his like robot hand and oracle's like hey when we were examining your body we noticed you had a had a, had a mech hand here <laughs> do i explain that it's like it's nothing i'm fine is basically his response i forgot about that too because of night terrors yeah i uh, I hate that he did, like Zarsky's done this, so now we have to deal with a stupid metal hand. Like, oh, or or eventually he'll get like a, a flesh looking hand that's robotic, and then we'll just forget that it ever was a thing. Or pretty soon we'll have a clone thrown into a Lazarus pit, and the, oh. it's the the brain's been transferred over. It's just a whole pit. So Batman yeah. goes patrolling. He sees a skylight open at a museum or whatever, and there's these two burglars in there, and they're cutting the glass, classic stuff. Batman chases them. And they end up getting away, um, but it turns out they got away through a vent, meaning the skylight being open with like, the cable was actually like a decoy. They actually tricked them. And hmm. it's like, oh, that's interesting. And then the premise of the book is that Catwoman is going around and recruiting all of the, the goons who normally work for Riddler, Penguin, Joker, whoever, right? She's basically making deals with them all, and she's training them. She's training them to be cat burglars, and the idea that, from her perspective is that she is going to train them all to only steal from the rich, never kill anyone, never hurt anyone, and only take it from people who will basically not miss whatever has been taken. And we find out in the eight eight weeks that Batman's been asleep, crime has went down 75% because Catwoman (laughs) has been doing this. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Right, this is all fitting. She's got like a whole like, sort of gem. She's training all these criminals. We got this lady Clayface looking chick who was in the Catwoman book before, yeah. um, and she's like, "Okay, I've heard Batman's awake. I'm going to have to call a meeting with them." Um, Tim Drake's taking on Maxi Zeus at a, a power plant. Uh, Batman shows up and Tim hugs him and he's like, "Batman, I miss you." And he's like, "I miss you too, son." And there's a whole. Like, the dialogue's just a little off. Like, there's something about Zarsky's Batman yeah. dialogue which is just slightly left of correct. It's just something I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, like, they talk just a little bit too cheesy, I guess, for my liking. Um, but, yeah, Selena calls this meeting, quote-unquote, masks off. So the Bat family show up, right? Batman doesn't take his mask off, but everyone else shows up to her club that she took from the Penguins kids. Uh, Duke's there. I think that's Cass in the background but the art's quite simplistic here mm-hmm. uh steph's there uh damien's there babs and dick are all there oh and kate's there too uh batwoman's there um mm. i will point out the art here that damien looks like he's 17 
in this page. Mm. And it's just kind of weird because he's still been drawn like he's a 13-year-old in every other book. Yeah. You know? So it just yeah. stuck out to me. I was like, wait, is that Tim? And I'm like, no, it's Damien's suit. That's just yeah, you, you gotta get him diff like like he is kind of further away from John's age than he has been, but still, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. If John's not around, like who's looking? But yeah, if he looks too much like just Tim and Damien's costume, that's a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh so Salida shows up and basically says, Look, this is what I've been doing, crimes down and it's actually working, right? All I'm asking you guys to do is to leave us be. Don't, like, go after the guys doing the cat burglaries. They're not going to hurt anyone. I'm training them the right way. And, of course, Batman's scowling. He hates this. And the part of the concept here that I think is actually quite interesting is, like, how the different members of the Bat family kind of react to this. And mm -hmm. I like the idea of them debating and, like, the pros and cons of this. Because, like, Dick's, like... Uh, this doesn't feel right. All you've really done is change the crime. Like, the crime's still yeah. there. You're just kind of, like, shifted it. But then, you know, Tim's like, yeah, but there's a difference between, you know, a thug shooting a bodega owner versus, uh, you know, just stealing a jewel from a rich person who's like, oh, he'll be annoyed about it, but then, ah, well, I'll buy another 10 jewels. Like, who cares? Yeah. Right? Um, you know, so it, it, Duke kind of has that thought. Uh, Kate's kind of on board. Damien hates it. Damien's like, no, oh. this is bullshit. They're criminals. Yeah, he uh, deals in absolutes, for yeah. sure. And to be fair, Damien's also got a good point, though. He says, but what if they eventually just go back to, like, Joker and Penguin and Riddler, but you've trained them all to, like, be much better at their job? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that is kind of Catwoman's thing, though, right? Is uh, it, you know... That's what she kind of wants, because if they're if she's shifting the crime, Dick pointed out, yeah, you're just shifting the crime. Like, yeah, it's not violent crime now, but it's still a crime. And now, how? There's no way Two Face and Joker are going to be okay with this, you know? No, no. Uh, and apparently, they've been quite quiet during all this because they can't. Mm -hmm. There's no guns to hire. <laughs> I do. I do love the idea, and this was something um the very short-lived TV show called Powerless had. Mm -hmm. Where they had this app in that where like people would sign up to be goons and there was a guy on there who was an ex Riddler goon. Um, I love the idea of delving into the weird meta mythology of Gotham where there's all these goons who actually kind of move around the different like you know masked villains for work, depending on who's like out of Arkham and <laughs> who's hiring. Uh, that is quite funny to me to mm -hmm. get into that. But hey. So Tim's like, okay, you know what, this sounds... It doesn't feel right, but, you know, we could use more data. We could sort of analyze this a bit more and see what's going on. And then there's the page. There's the page that everyone is going to make fun of, and rightly so, to be honest. Um, you know, Selena's still arguing her point. She says, if you attack my people, all you're doing is increasing the kinds of crime you're trying to stop, right? You're just increasing the chances that there's going to be more violence. Um, the violent ones... Uh, we're just allowing the rich to be robbed. They can afford it. Hell, half of them never earned their ludicrous wealth. Uh, they can give up some for. And this is where Batman jumps in and yells, My parents were rich! <sighs> and I'm not going to lie, it was giving me serious, my parents are dead. Like, that classic paddle. It was giving me those vibes. He doesn't slap anyone when he says it. But yeah. that, that was the feeling I got when I read this. It felt really weird. This is the so, what's so sad about the execution of this, is that conceptually, this idea that, you know, like, Selina is basically operating in a slight shade of grey. She's giving the crime world a bit of, a bit of, a bit of leeway 
to be better and it's working it's showing results and i love the idea of the bat family and batman himself especially having to try and like internalize and discuss that but the problem is instead of this being this something where he clearly doesn't like it but he can't really argue that it's not in some level working he just yells like a child he's just he's immediately angry he immediately gets all antsy about it and it just doesn't feel like it's really doing anything to sort of tackle it and of of course like uh later in the issue something that happens that kind of like spurs things on is that um so one of her guys tries to rob a rich apartment but there's a woman there and she ends Mm -hmm. up shooting the guy and he goes out the window so it's actually the burglar who dies and it's like this is this has led to someone dying uh just on the other end of everything so it's like okay this is clearly that's what the end of the issue is so that clearly we're going to deal with that and the idea that this will breed more consequences in other ways that maybe selena hasn't predicted which is a fair thing to look at and it's a fair point for batman to argue it just feels like his reaction in this and well i'm okay with him reacting in a way that doesn't feel quite right in the sense that he's going to come around and like sort of like understand better later he just doesn't feel well written the way he reacts in this um yeah and that's a shame because i actually think the idea of saying to him sometimes it's okay like it's actually better to let some of the small fish effectively exist so that all the really bad things don't happen that's an interesting philosophical question yeah. to throw at him like because I, I understand him like wanting to stop purse snatchers right from old ladies right ah, sure yeah yeah like i get that again that's, that's a kind of paradynamic type of crime but him being upset that they're ripping off like again i don't i feel like the type of person thomas wayne was that is oh they were just jewels right yeah like who who cares if they got ripped off well you know we're it's still not going to stop us from trying to fix the city and i feel that that's where bruce should be All right? right is let me focus on stopping joker and two-face and riddler and not have to worry about this this is one less thing off my plate or even if you even if you try to like explore the idea that you know batman comes from a rich family so he has this mm-hmm. one perspective one percent or kind of perspective yeah. on things and you want to explore how that clouds his judgment that's a fine idea to explore i just mm-hmm. don't feel like this book is doing it with the nuance that i would actually like to see these yeah. things happen this is i don't know like i feel like there's a, a better execution for almost every idea in here that i think is a fine yeah. idea on paper it's just miss, you know yeah i miss the nuance that zadarsky had with the knight just doing the origin story and, you know, these little smaller stuff seems like when he's taking bigger swings is when we're, we're having a lot of these issues. It's a shame. Um, uh, Red Hood actually goes to meet with Selena after this and basically says, hey, I love this, what you're doing. It's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on yeah, board. See, out of anybody I could see that, it, it is him. Also, I'm surprised that Dick wasn't more open to it, considering that's kind of what he's been doing over in Bloodhaven. I mean, not necessarily the crime, right? He's he's giving people the stuff they need so they don't have to go commit the crimes, right? But I, I'm almost more surprised he's not more open to Selena doing that, you know, by, by refocusing. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't yeah. come out too hard against her. He's kind of, yeah. you know, lukewarm on the negative as opposed to, yeah. like, you know, he's not Damien yelling at the top of his lungs. Right, right. Uh, Actually, I do love, though, I do love that the, the little a-hole is yelling just like batman is that's how you know that they're related uh selena of course has to fight jason for like three pages when he first shows up at her place because it's a comic book uh but then once they've got the upper hand and jason's been put down 
um he's like no like I, i'm kind of into this let's let's do it and she's like look you can come and meet me in person and he's basically like, hey you could use someone on the inside of the bat family whispering in their ears to try and like turn them on your side uh so he's effectively going to be a plant although i feel like out of all the bat family the one that they're all trained to maybe ignore <laughs> is jason yeah. todd given what he does and who he's what his past is but interestingly selena also says to jason no killing like she's like no don't kill because yeah. all, all you're going to do is make batman angrier and that's not what we're about so it's interesting that even selena takes that high road when it comes to to jason here um but yeah, Batman talks about feeling old and how he's struggling to keep up and he has to keep the idea of Batman alive even if, even if the human person is starting to like struggle with it. Mm-hmm. The bat signal comes on and he goes and talks to Montoya and Montoya's like, basically says I need information on this stuff that's happening and he's like, and she says that, look, when Jim Gordon was doing this, he was happy to just tell you everything and then wait for you to deliver bad guys. This has to be a two-way street with me. You have to give me stuff too. Uh, so she does that and then she also points out uh, and by the way Montoya's face on a couple of these panels is some of the worst in the book Um, she says that look crime has fallen in these past eight weeks when you've been missing and not only that crime's also falling since I became commissioner and Batman just responds with hey stats can be manipulated (laughs) (laughs) the streets will tell me what I need to know and then Batman goes looking and sort of questions you know maybe it is being really quiet I've not found out to beat up all night (laughs) like everything is kind of on the down low um, yeah. Also, it teases Riddler. Riddler's watching this meeting on the rooftop mm-hmm. in Montoya, and he's basically saying that Batman like maybe could use a friend. So Riddler might even try and ally himself with Batman, probably with an ulterior motive because he's the Riddler. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they do set that up. So that's basically it. There's a scene where Batman goes to a bar called Flunkies, which is where a lot of goons hang out, and the, the villains will sometimes come here to recruit. Uh, but there's almost no one there. And the guy's like, yep, uh, everything's been really quiet recently. And then we get to the crime scene at the end where the uh, the burglar uh, is uh, rolling his name, um, who used to work for Freezing Riddler, who was practicing his, his heist techniques for Catwoman. Um, and the final couple panels is Batman looking in the reflection of the blood, um, saying that uh, his mission's been become tainted. Um, and that we stop crime and as he's saying this he's cowls turning pupper purple turning purple and then the thought bubble turns to a purple circle saying we stop crime and then the final panel is an all black panel saying because we're batman so it seems like zero nr is having influence i don't know if he's outright turned into him at the end or if it's just the idea that he's still whispering in his ear kind of thing yeah as he's going it kind of is zero has become kind of the batman without bruce aspect uh which i don't mind that rc doing because it does show you know bruce is going to have to have these connections to things and maybe that's ultimately going to be the point it's like his whole his whole arc is going to be like all right don't sweat the small stuff don't forget that we're here to to try to help gotham be better and you're not going to stop all crime. yeah also you know, when selena was talking to the family like they, they straight up start talking about how the fact that we never got married because you said this city needed a batman and now I've decided that it needs me. So should we go get married since we're both here? And like, uh, there's <laughs> a couple, basically there's a rich, she says, the kids don't like seeing the parents fight. And then like, I think Steph says, so yeah, I don't like when mom and dad fight. So they're kind of doing like a whole mom and dad, yeah. which pisses off Damien. Cause like, she's not my mother. <laughs> yeah. Which I do like, I, you know, him just being, you know, a, a constant reminder 
of of Selena, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, I appreciate like respecting the continuity there. It's mm-hmm. the art's just not for me. I I feel like it's it's very like the faces are too clean in places, and it's not like a, a it's not like a good clean. It's not like a nice flat like artistic clean yeah. like a, a foreign is or something like that. This is more like. <sighs> I thought it was just something that I don't like about it. Um, but, you know, so sometimes, like, there's just too many sharp edges, or sometimes it's just a, a case of, like, it looking like there's they're, they're kind of expressionless, aside from, like, the obvious parts of the mouth and the eyes, which make it feel kind of, like, Uncanny Valley-esque, I guess. Um, yeah, so not good art, and, like, I think the concepts are solid, but the execution is leaving a lot to be desired, which is not a surprise, because I, I, I dropped the Catwoman run a couple issues after Tony Howard yeah. took over, and I've been very critical of Zarsky's Batman, um, pretty much. Like, I had some good things to say about that first arc, but it kind of kept pushing it a little bit towards the end, and then once we got to that second arc, it was, you know, the gloves were off, and it was, it was, it was a rough time, and I can still see some of those problems creeping in here. Um, so yeah, this continues in Batman, I think next week, so... Oh, is it next hmm. week? Maybe it's not next week, maybe the week after, but regardless. Oh, I'm looking through the issue right now, since I, I got it, but I didn't get it to read it um and like some of the some of the stuff like with batman looks looks pretty good like although the cape looks kind of weird um yeah well he's wearing a cowl though it's more it's more the regular faces that i think really have yeah no i'm just saying like his his batman looks pretty you know like that looks pretty good uh but i was just looking at some of the other stuff is a little bit off but yeah i get what you're saying about the faces though because i i had to see the the montoya stuff for myself yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the it's like there's too much shadows on the face. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. this 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 I I had seen on like Thursday, someone mentioned that basically this boiled down to that stupid internet argument that if Batman wanted to really help, he would just give money to help the poor. You know. Mm. Um, and I feel like that was a bit hearing you talk about it. That was too much of a oh man, he's got a light cramp. Um, ooh, I didn't knock over my computer though. That's too, a, that's a benefit. Too um, much of a simplification, I think you try to say. Yeah, that's what I mean. Too much of an overgeneralization of what it is, because there is there is some nuance here to uh, Selena's point um, and all that. Oh my goodness, we might have to take a break. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt's in writhing pain right now, everyone. It's not as bad as other things uh, this week. Uh, like my thumb that is still hyperextended, but oh man, I think I think if I sit like this, I think we're okay. Um, okay, so well, like... I was just going to read the book because I go ahead. I, I mean, sadly, I'm like morbidly curious what they do with this, despite the fact yeah. that obviously I have a lot of problems with the execution. I'll probably yeah. I'm kind of tempted to just sort of give it a six because at least the concepts are interesting, even if mm. I think the execution is very Not... lacking. I don't like the art. Maybe 5.5. Maybe I'll say, I'll yeah. say 5.5. I'll yeah. say it's just over that midway point because at least conceptually, I think there's some interesting yeah. debates to be had here. It, it has potential. Like, judging judging from hearing uh, what you were saying about it, the stuff was there in R and how that is going to play into Selena, right? And, and her ideals of Gotham versus Zernar's Batman's ideals of Gotham. I still can't believe they thought it was a good idea to have Batman yell, my parents were rich. <laughs> like, that's still, like, that's... That, that was a facepalm 
Ken yeah. Alone. I, 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 yeah. I was I was gobsmacked by that. But hey, uh, my parents were rich. Yeah. How dare you insult Oof. the rich? My parents were rich. Yeah, that's oh, man. <laughs> and addiction have said, yeah, mine too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what's your point, Bruce? Yeah. Uh, uh, so yes. wow. No one's saying that they should go and murder rich people. They're just saying no. that they can survive a little bit of theft. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yeah, 5.5. I think I'll give that then all in. Sure. Uh, but against my better judgment, I think I'll read... I'll, at least I'll read the Batman issue because that's next. Yeah. yeah. And then if I feel like reading the Catwoman issue, then we'll see how it goes. But... Uh, all right. Action Comics presents the Doomsday Special Issue One. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Waters writing with Eddie Barrows on our at least the main story anyway, because there was yeah. a, a backup. Um, I guess that this is not an annual just because they already had one. I think yeah. <laughs> so. They just they've called it the Doomsday Special instead. Mm-hmm. Couldn't they just call it? I mean, I guess it's not annual at that point, but they could just call it mm-hmm. Annual Issue Two, twenty twenty three, maybe. But then then it's not an annual. Then it's a biannual. True. True. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, they could just call it the Action Comics Special, right? Is that what they did? Oh, Action Comics Presents, presents. the Doomsday yeah. Special. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't That's know. I, I did enjoy this. Um, oh, I, I, I mostly did. I, like, so, yeah. well, I'll say, so, so, I think it does feel a little bit overlong for what it is because mm-hmm. the. The middle of it, where they're just kind of in hell doing stuff, does yeah. feel like it's just kind of, uh, I don't want to say repetitive, but it just it yeah. goes on a bit long. Yeah. Um, but so, so the story of this is that Kara has a nightmare, which, by the way, we just had a nightmare event. Like, I, I, I got like red flags at the start of this when she starts yes. talking about nightmares. Uh, don't worry, though, much more interesting here. Yes. Uh, she basically has a nightmare about Doomsday, and her and Clark are sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about Doomsday, and she says, Hey, what was it like? when he killed you and he basically talks about it about how you know he got there was the first time he ever really felt tired in his life was when he was like trying to throw punches against doomsday and then things went black and it was this you know this was like nothing he'd ever fought before you know it really sells up the idea of how bad doomsday is um and then you know she she leaves you know when the kids come in and it's a whole thing um Mm -hmm. And basically, I was like, oh, this is all very nice. It's a shame that Doomsday... Because they, they reference in this book that Doomsday popped back up during Lazarus Planet and that he popped back up during something else as well. And I, I'm like... Yeah, it was during Lazarus Planet, and I remember reading it, but I forgot about it until this minute. Yeah, like, until I, I sat down to read it. Um, so I don't even know if we talked about that one. I don't but it was think, something I that know. I remember reading that, like... It was almost like the, the PTSD that was Doomsday was manifesting because of the Lazarus rain. And this one guy was kind of the the bulwark of it. And John tries to help him through it. And he ends up being consumed by the by the memory of Doomsday. And it kind of self-destructs. And, you know, we end up seeing him running through hell uh, later, right? But, yeah, it was this thing that I completely forgot had happened until they brought it up here. Yeah, all I was going to say there is that I feel like you know, this this would feel like really cool if this was the first time Doomsday had been brought up in a long time. But mm-hmm. because it's like the Lazarus rain was like earlier this year, like that's yeah. not that long yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, it feels like he, he pops up maybe a bit too often. That said, though, I like this idea of really being scared of him. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this nightmare wasn't really just a nightmare. This was Martian Manhunter transmitting to Kara because. Um, so, what was the guy's name? Is it RC? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. I believe so. Um, so he. 
like you know there's there's all these thoughts of doomsday and kryptonian going towards martian manhunter and he couldn't really decrypt it so he sent it to kara uh so that she could understand it and maybe tell him what's what's going on um notably did not send it to clark because clark was actually killed by doomsday and might be too traumatic for him i like that little detail that's I, why i do too and it's uh, like because because you got to figure out why does this go to not go to clark but just the idea too that kara has her own her own relationship with Doomsday as, you know, what Doomsday was on Krypton, right? It was kind of like this myth yeah. of science that's been perverted. And, you know, and they don't have, they don't believe in in a god, right? In the singular, you know, creator being. No, they talk, she talks about how, like, there's gods and stuff on Krypton, mm-hmm. but they're more treated like myths and legends as opposed to right. anyone actually worshipping them as a, as a church kind right. of thing. But Doomsday did feel like because he was this perverted sense, you know, that that Krypton was a society based on science, that he was this twisted science experiment that went wrong and it kind of represented all the ills of Krypton, you know. Um, and uh, so the idea that she's the one that's going to go up against us, the, you know, the Kryptonian that actually remembers Krypton itself, I thought was a real nice touch. Yeah, and there's a really nice page here where Marsha Manhunter touches her head to sort of, like, read the dream back uh, from her perspective. Yeah. And it's like, he, or, or his fingers are on her forehead, but then inside her head, it's all this fire and, like, Doomsday's hands coming up. It's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I said um, it was Eddie Barrows on art, but, like, uh, mm-hmm. I do want to mention that um, Eber Ferreira, yeah. Ferreira uh, yeah, is also Ferreira. credited in here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, usually he works with Eddie Barrows. Um, yeah, doing inks and colors and stuff too. Yeah. Um, so basically, though, when he touches our head, uh, they get pulled into hell, and it basically turns out that Doomsday is a lot like Freddy Krueger, where the power <laughs> comes from people believing in him. In fact, uh-huh. same with hell itself. Hell only exists uh-huh. because enough people on Earth believe in it. Which and I yeah. love what again Dan Waters doing this type of metaphysical storytelling. We saw it in in Night Terrors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, him doing it here again, where hell, yeah, hell exists, but only exists because enough people believe in it. And you know, if you can get enough people to change their minds, right, it'll change aspects of hell. Yeah. Um, so there's all these like tortured souls here, and then Doomsday eventually comes out. Honestly, that first part, well, not the first panel, but it's like the the bottom half of the page uh, uh-huh. where he comes out and he's biting like the demon or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, he looks like a demented version of Bowser from Super Mario Brothers in that panel. Kind of. You're not wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty... all the spikes and yeah, it, almost it, like a turtle shell. Yeah, it's because of the angle uh, mm-hmm. that you're looking at. But um, yeah. So it turns out he's been basically gaining this following in hell amongst all mm-hmm. the demons and wayward souls because they're all giving him more strength by believing in him. And it's basically him trying to will himself back into existence. Mm-hmm. And what's happened here is that the person who sent a message out to Martian Manhunter to lure him and Kara in here turns out to effectively be the devil. Technically, he's the first of the fallen, is his actual name, but yeah. he's effectively the devil. And he doesn't like that Doomsday is taking all this power and hell from him. Yeah, he doesn't like the competition. Yes. You know? so, 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 yeah, so in, in DC, you, you have the whole, you know, I would, I would call it the Abrahamic God and Devil, right? You have this is the first of the fallen, and then they've referred to Big G God as the one above all, you know, and those those characters very rarely get brought up just because of it has to be like a Morrison level um, writer 
that, you know, kind of plays with those because it can get super dodgy. And I feel like Waters really played it in here because this, the, the first of the Fallen does not feel like Neuron or Satanus or any of those type or even Trigon. No. There, there is a sinisterness to them um, that is, that kind of rides that. The it looks more like a, line. yeah, it looks more like a dark elf with just this big red mm-hmm. cloak on. But yeah, yeah. like Doomsday is trying to build up like enough power from getting everyone to be scared of him that mm-hmm. he can break through the big door that will lead him back into the, the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we get Kara is given this, like, like devil armor yeah. <laughs> to fight <laughs> to fight Doomsday, uh, which, you know, cool enough. Um, and there's a lot of good art, like, mixed in here. Like, I want to point out, there's, there's, a, there's a panel where, mm-hmm. like, Martian Manhunter is, like, on, on fire, basically, and that looks really great. Um mm-hmm. The hordes of like demons or like lost souls, kind of watching the fight and stuff like that. There's a lot of good stuff in here, uh-huh. um, but the fight does go on for a little bit, which is the one thing I'd maybe critique the issue for is that it feels yeah. like we're just kind of doing fighting back and forth a bit. But yeah. ultimately, Martian Manhunter tries to like connect to all the souls down here to convince them to hope instead of fear, um, which doesn't quite work. But uh, they end up all coming together and like basically barricading the door with themselves to to the point where they actually mm-hmm. merge together into like a membrane that covers the door yep. and seals it shut it's actually kind of disgusting and very like uh it's body horror it's, it's body horror yeah it's not quite yeah. hr giger but it's like yeah. a, a like some sort of like weird cronenberg like flesh looking mm-hmm. texture it kind of reminds me of reanimator kind of stuff where it's kind of all goopy, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, when they, they kind of all merge together. Yeah, because, like, at first it's just, like, you can sort of see that it's just a mass of bodies, but then the next couple mm-hmm. of pages, it does just look like sort of strings of, like, flesh and stuff that are yeah. all just connected now. Yeah, yeah, So, um, that's stuff's I, I do, cool. I, I do like, too, that it's one soul in particular that, you know, Martian Manhunter is like, yeah, they didn't they didn't have to, right? They, they didn't feel the hope, but they chose to do this anyways. Yeah. You know? So... It's almost as if Kara and and John did have an influence in hell, uh, and it was just enough enough to have a tipping point to where they go into self preservation mode, right? Um, to you know, and it's not just to save the day, right? They're, they're still acting, and you know, as as people in hell would, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, devil, for lack of a better word, sends mm-hmm. Kara and John back to the real world. And they're like, hey, that was kind of depressing and kind of hopeless, but hey, we'll just try and make the best of mm-hmm. the world, I guess. And the final page is basically mimicking that very first couple of pages of Death of Superman, which mm-hmm. is uh, Doomsday trying to punch his way out of this flesh wall. And it's the yeah. same vertical panels, and it's like the idea that maybe he'll break out someday still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says Doomsday's story continues in the pages of Superman in Action Comics. So this is leading to something. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like it might be relevant going forward, uh, but it was a pretty solid uh, read, I would say. Um, yeah. Like I, I like it being a Karen Jean focused story. That mm-hmm. was kind of neat. Um, I liked some of the mythology it built up about hell and the idea of like fear giving Doomsday power. Because uh, I, li- I kind of like the idea that Doom, the science behind Doomsday is that his body, like once he's killed by something, he's able to sort of like defend against that the next time right he's always like evolving from whatever hits him he gets stronger Mm -hmm. i love the idea of that like continuing to a point where he even like starts to find a way to come back from death through this meta reason of like oh if everyone believes i exist i can come back from even that you know yeah it's doomsday as an idea not just like the character doomsday right but it's almost waters having commentary too on 
you know, if enough people believe that the world's ending, is it not ending, right? So if enough people start to believe in this creature, even if they're these wayward souls, we're, we're going to be into trouble, right? Because yeah. it's, it's doomsday as an idea. And I just, I love that because I'm, I'm not huge on doomsday just because every time a writer tries to bring him up, it's always, you know, like we're kind of seeing it in Jurgens, right? In the back of action comics mm. with, with uh, what's his name? Doombreaker and that kind of stuff. And it just seems like the same note played on different instruments. Uh, here, this is a whole new take on Doomsday. And, I, and it even fits in with the Morrison action comics idea of super doom and what that represents. You know, it's not just this physical manifestation of Doomsday. It, it's Doomsday to a culture. It's, you know, across the spectrum. And I, I like the idea here, too, that Doomsday is a singular organism, right? There's, there's only one, right? So yeah. uh, if he's in hell, he will find a way out eventually. Uh, you know, and now is this going to be a problem down the line? Is it going to be a, you know, for, cause I'm trying to see how this is going to fit into Superman and action comics. Right. And this, this feels to me more like, uh, along the lines of that whole kind of Arthurian thing that Philip Kennedy Johnson did with the mm. super family and the future and whatnot. And like, how would they respond to doomsday? That was my first thought here. Cause, um, and this the whole idea of, of the House of L standing together against the thing that killed, you know, the, the forebear and all this other stuff. I, it's a whole idea. I just can't seem to make it fit into to Williamson's with everything that we got in there right now. Yeah. With Supercore. I'd, you be, know? Su- I'd so. be surprised, but maybe they'll do like yeah. a crossover event or something. Yeah, but uh-huh. I I hope Dan Waters has a part in it because I'm, I'm really enjoying the metaphysicalness. It, it's up there with the kind of Ram V, you know, when Ram V writes about ideas. You know, um, it's kind of up there with me on here. And I get why Connor likes Dan Waters as much as he does, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I suspect maybe he'll end up... The fact that he wrote this might suggest that maybe mm-hmm. he'll end up writing a backup in one of the yeah. super books going forward or something. Mm-hmm. If he hasn't already been, I can't really remember who's <laughs> been on those. Yeah. Uh, so there's a backup here, though, mm-hmm. uh, which is still Dan Waters. And this is this character, RC, that you were mm-hmm. mentioning from the yep. the Lazarus Range story, the one who yep. Doomsday was using to try and get into the world, uh-huh. the Martian Manor helped, and RC effectively sent himself to hell uh, to take Doomsday with him. So mm-hmm. RC's still in hell, but he's in a different circle of hell. So they're talking about Dan A's seven circles of hell. Yep. And he's on this other level and this, uh, you know, demon or whatever he is, is yeah. coming after him with... Now, they call them uh, Doomhounds, Doom. but mm-hmm. I was like, why not just Doomsday Dogs? <laughs> like, that's alliteration, baby. Um, yeah, because I'm feeling that they're trying to go after the Hellhound Doomsday. Yeah, I guess. Portmanteau, which I kind of like because it, it's showing Doomsday's uh, impression on hell. Right, that he's he's even warping the hellhounds, mm. right, by his I, near presence being there. Yeah, so I am curious about this in the sense that it's building mm-hmm. up more of this mythology about how Dan yeah. Waters and DC are going to treat hell and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I have not little context for this character so far. So him yeah. realizing that because he's in hell and he, because he was tethered to Martian Manhunter, he can basically have some of Martian Manhunter's powers by turning mm-hmm. into this hero in hell. Um, and that maybe hell should have its own superhero. Like mm-hmm. that is kind of interesting that there's a superhero in hell. The, the Superman of hell, as yeah. I believe, uh, as he calls himself. And just the idea too, it was the, you know, the, the Martian Manhunter identity that people seem to forget about of Bloodwind, right? Who was mm. effectively killed by Doomsday, right? Like that was part of the, the death of Superman. 
just the idea that he's he's down there now. He's taken on this this personification to be the Superman of Hell. I just had such a great idea. Yeah, uh, and there's like another demon watching him by the end. Uh, it just says to be continued in the pages of Action Comics. So mm-hmm. uh, I suspect there might be a backup uh, coming mm-hmm. in action with this. Uh, I do appreciate that because he's in hell there's still kind of a villainous look to some of his outfit like he's yeah. still got he's still got the long dracula like collar on his cape yeah. you know well, and i like the chains around his wrist too because it gives him a a vibe um but you know something that's broken out but again um getting big spawn vibes from what i yeah. know about spawn well the, cha- the chains especially made me think of yeah. spawn because cha- spawn spawn's got a whole chain thing going with yeah. his outfit and powers I'm gonna see this whole Bloodwind DC. Why even that it came up, right? Like, mm. was it like a response to to yeah? And in April '92 is when he first debuted, created by Dan Jurgens. So, um, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, just the idea of Hell having a Superman, and that yeah. that also fits in with with what Philip Kennedy Johnson's been doing about the you know Superman as an idea, and this fits in with this is almost a counter to Doomsday as an idea is now that Superman. So- so when you yeah. say this character, I say I don't remember this character from Death of Superman. Mm-hmm. Is this literally mm-hmm. that character, or is this a new version of that character? This is a new version of the character. Bloodwind was a uh, was was an identity of Jean Johns. Okay. The, he was yeah. Uh, his alter ego was Raphael Arce or RC. Um, I'm trying to see. Uh, in recent times, he gets up on the gym. Wait, so. So this was just an alias of Jean back in the day, but somehow I he's believe a, so. I, I'm I'm just trying to check because so it, it was it, revealed it, that he, that Bloodwind that died, uh, in quotes, was Jean. So they, I know they are tied. So, so what, what I'm asking though is, is this just them being cute and they've sort of made this its own character and they're mm-hmm. referencing what that Jean you know john had this name at one point or are they actually going to like say and reveal here that this character is like somehow john split off into like two or something like that that's that's what i'm i'm checking right now because it's very the character biography that's listed in wiki right now is very all over the place that it involves a, a demon named rot and a blood gem and all this other stuff um but i believe that martian manhunter because of the psychic part of it became became a part of Bloodwind and Bloodwind became a part of him. So okay. I know he fought on the ju- he was with the Justice League when when he fought Doomsday. Yeah, um, it's been so long since I read Death of Superman. I don't yeah. even know. And I'm pretty sure when I read it there's pro- I mean there was probably other characters that I didn't know then that I like would obviously know now. But Yep. Yeah, I can't say Bloodwind. So this is this is what impression. it was. It says in recent times the demon rot sucked Bloodwind into the gym and held him captive while mind controlling Martian Manhunter, compelling him to wear the gym and impersonate Bloodwind. Using Bloodwind's identity, the Manhunter rejoined the Justice League, seeking a power source which would enable Rot to escape from the microworld. So yeah, he he was it was Martian Manhunter impersonating Bloodwind. So it feels like this is just the path into him becoming his own character through this whole thing. No, but you um, just said there was a separate character, though. He was impersonating this other dude. Yeah, yeah. So, there, so, so, so this is just a new version of that old character. Yeah, with the same name. So I wonder if they'll do a legacy thing. Because I didn't catch the first name. Was it Raphael? Oh, I don't... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just remember Arce, or RC. Um, I'm trying Sorry. to see, because he comes in Day, day of Judgment... It would be way back at the start, probably, when Martian yeah. Manor first shows up, where he maybe mentions mm-hmm. it. 
But yeah, just the idea. If we're just if if they're just playing on the the idea that Bloodwin left a impact on Martian Manhunter, and the Martian Manhunter leaves an, on on this character. If that's how they're going to bring up the idea of Bloodwin now in in modern times. I'm kind of okay with that. You know, it's trying to streamline continuity in a way. I mean, um, it's all interesting. Yeah. Uh, so far, so I I, I enjoyed this mm-hmm. uh, issue. So. Yeah, I know his story thought he was an, um, something to do with Martian Manhunter being undercover. I did not realize it involved a demon and a blood gem and all this other <laughs> weird stuff uh, until today. So it was my understanding that he was just Martian Manhunter undercover. Um, so Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. So I, mean, I didn't enjoy the backup as much as the main story, mm-hmm. obviously, but it was it was interesting uh, yeah. for, for, for what it was. Uh, I'm curious to learn more. So, uh, what are you rating the Doomsday Special? I'm giving this an eight point five. I'll probably just go straight eight, um, just because mm-hmm. the pacing takes a bit of a hit in the middle of the main story. Uh, mm-hmm. But the art is pretty good, uh, and the concepts are really strong. I love that it's a Kara and John story. I like a lot of the little details they put in, and it made me curious about what they're doing with Doomsday going forward. So, uh, credit where credit's due. All right. Uh, Tales of the Titans, Raven issue one, mm-hmm. Teeny Howard and Eleonora Carlini on the art. This was from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Matt had been reading these and yeah. then couldn't that week, but has went back and caught up. So, yeah. go. Um, so would you be surprised to know that this is a struggle between uh, Raven and her father, Trigon? <laughs> Trigon um, and a Raven yeah. story? That doesn't sound like yeah. Raven. Except... Much like the Starfire one, which was kind of about Starfire's legacy and where she is, you know, who she is to the people of Tamaran. Uh, this kind of plays with the idea of Raven as a Titan versus Raven as Trigon's daughter. So uh, in this, Raven and Starfire are going to uh, a character named Pantha, who I think was a member of the Teen Titans at one point. Um, she's pregnant and they're going to her baby shower. Um <laughs> And, you know, Starfire is very excited because there's going to be a baby. And Raven's kind of like, look, um, I'm feeling like weird stuff about this. Like anytime a baby's around, I think of my upbringing and, and how my mom really wasn't given a choice. You know, she was taken advantage of and, and you know, didn't get to live the life she wanted to live. And um, it's just something that I'm going to have to get through. And Corey gives her a hug. And I was like, you know, we're growing up now. We're going to have to see our friends having kids. Like, you, this is this can't be a problem all the time. Uh, meanwhile, while they're at the baby shower, Trigon's in his realm, um, and he is yelling at one of his sons, uh, who goes by the name of Trilogy, which is still a kind of dumb name. Um, but he just wants to be, you know, he wants to serve Darkseid, or Darkseid, he wants to serve Trigon. <laughs> uh, it's it's very the same dynamics of Darkseid and, and, you know, Calabac or any one of his kids. That basically, you failed me. If you want, uh, you need to produce an heir of a grandson. So then I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to form myself on Earth without one. So you go down there and, and do that. So um, through this... Uh, Raven hears a call to this church where there's a, uh, a lady that is, is pregnant on an altar. Like she's almost like she's praying. Um, and Raven can feel that something's off, right? Like there's a desperation. 
um, that almost like, even though this woman's pregnant, she's having a change of heart. Um, as she starts investigating more, this angel, like when I say angel, the dude looks like something out of, you know, biblical uh, art. Uh, this big blonde guy with huge wings, almost like a loincloth toga wrapped around him. And he proclaims to be Amadeus, a, a spirit of the Azerathes. So I don't know if you remember much of Raven's actual origin, right? So while she's the daughter of Trigon, her mom is able to escape to the Azerath uh, plane, right? And that's why she was raised. That's why, you know, her magical words, you know, I always forget what the full three are. But one of them is Azerath. Um, and so it's one of these beings from Azerath that's come to help her uh, shepherd this lady because this lady is going to be a vessel of Trigon, right? Uh, and Raven doesn't want the same thing that happened to her mother to happen to this lady. Uh, but she can't get close because once Trigon's involved, they're going to be able to sense her power if this is a cult to Trigon, right? So uh, Amadeus gives her this, uh, essentially this box uh, it looks almost like a music box that says you can put your essentially your soul self here, right? Um, and they won't be able to sense any of that Trigon ness or Azerathi magic powers on you. And you'll be able to essentially go undercover into this church. Um, so uh, as, as she goes, she mentions, you know, um, they ask her if she's ready. She goes, of course, I'm a Titan. I'm always ready. Um, they go in and there's this super, you know, dark occult ritual going on in this church. It's almost Church of Blood-esque. This guy, you know, older guy, long hair, uh, mustache, beard, you know, has this big, huge scythe. And he is cutting himself, uh, chanting about the blood of Trigon. Um, they end up giving, uh, as she's in her human form, Rachel, uh, a baptism in blood to which then... She passes out and ends up, you know, waking up, running through the halls of this church where she runs into Eden, who's the lady that she came to help. Right. She's pregnant. Come to find out that her the guy that was doing the ritual is the one that uh, that she's going to have the baby with and that she's having second doubts that if this was even the right um, if this was even the right person in the right circumstances. Um but they're like, you know, he's all just, he's loud. He doesn't actually believe in a lot of this stuff. Um, so as they're doing another ritual, uh, Raven uh, starts to, to break it up. Um, they realize uh, that when they realize that who she is, these like creatures come up out of the blood uh, and they're servants of Trigon. She ends up fighting them off even without her powers uh, because Part of this ritual that Santiago, the older guy, was doing was to pull out this, this uh, the scythe of the hunter, and it's this big bone, you know, it looks like the a bone version of the Grim Reaper scythe, right? But it's more hand-sized instead. Um, so they end up fighting these creatures off with, with the scythe. Uh, she explains that she didn't realize, you know, she's still new to the church. She didn't realize, they, she thought they were all in danger. Um, but he, he reassures her that's just part of the ritual. She has a lot to learn. Um, she, uh, Rachel slash Raven tries to talk Eden into leaving, but she doesn't. She feels like she's still making the right choice. And then uh, Amadeus comes back to her and, you know, is like, you know, you're certainly doing all this fast. You know, 
you are you are convincing her. I, I can I can feel this. Um, we're we're then because he comes to her in a dream. He uh, she wakes up and realizes that something's wrong. So uh, they're out uh, out on like the grounds of this church riding this horse. Can it looks like they're hunting a, a unicorn, and that's what they had you know summoned the scythe to do. Um, they're prepping. Eden for her wedding to Santiago, which will fully seal this whole ritual. Um, uh, they, they end up summoning Amadeus through, uh, through this ritual, which Raven now reveals that she realized this whole time that Amadeus wasn't who he thought he was, is that he is essentially was Trilogy, her brother, and that he was trying to manipulate her into you know, trying to push the woman so far into leaving that she would stay, right? You know, kind of kind of do what they needed. Uh, but Raven mentioned that she's an empath, and the reason she went through with all this is she knows that Trilogy's heart's not in it, right? That he's actually tired of being mistreated by uh, by Trigon, and that he is he has failed on purpose. Um and and uh, once once she you know brings all this up, he kind of gets embarrassed and they they start fighting. She ends up telling him teleporting him away with her soul self, um, which then you know reveals to this entire church of Trigon right that she is Raven. Um, so she she leaves. Um, Eden decides not to go through with the wedding uh, anyways. Um, and she's like, well, you know, you didn't, why are you helping me? You don't know me. She's like, you know, it, it's my duty to help people. That's, you know, what I do. Um, because I'm a Titan gets said a lot in this. And it's probably the biggest issue that I would have is like, we don't need, it, it's called Tales of the Titans. I don't need to be reminded every 10 pages that you're a Titan, Raven, uh, and, and Teeny Howard on top of that. Uh, so her needing to leave, she ends up calling Starfire on, on the phone to let her know, you know, uh, hey, I'm done with my mission, you know. Um, and as she goes back into her house, there's a knock on the door. And uh, it's her brother, Trilogy, you know, asking if she's ready to talk. And she goes, yeah, am I ever? Uh, and then and So it seems like, I don't know if this is going to play into some of the Raven stuff that we have been getting in the pages of, like, Nightwing and Titans, right? Um, or if this is just setting stuff up for, for Raven later. Right, almost as if she's she's building a unified front against the you know with the sons and daughters of Trigon because he's got to have a bunch out there, right? It's not just Raven, um, and this just thwarted his grandson uh, through all of this. But yeah, some of the magic stuff gets a little bit confusing uh, just because it is magic, and Teeny Howard doesn't do like a fantastic job of of laying out what these actual rules are. It just kind of gets built up to you know, occult shenanigans, but just the idea that Raven knew that this, this angel creature, right. Was her brother. Um, even, even without her powers, she could sense that something was off. Uh, I kind of, kind of like that. It kind of shows her swagger. So, um, a lot of fun. Didn't enjoy this as much as the Starfire one. Right. But I feel like it, you know, that just comes down to maybe the characters. I don't have the same affinity for Raven. Uh, the art is is pretty decent. The the creatures look really really good. Sometimes Raven's face it's it's almost a less is more 
kind of approach to the art style. So it's not quite my thing, but I wouldn't call it bad. Um, okay. You know, a lot of the faces sometimes are very simple versus, you know, the Santiago character, the guy with the long hair, beard, and mustache. There's a lot more going on to him because he has more expressive stuff through his facial hair versus, you know, Raven, who kind of has this short cropped hair, these big earrings and stuff. Um, but, yeah, the action sequences look pretty good when she teleports her brother away uh, with her soul self. It, it looks pretty cool. It's got the big Raven logo working for it. But, yeah, a pretty enjoyable read on, on a – on a week that we didn't have a lot to read, so I'm thankful for that. So, uh, rating, I'll give this a 7.5. Okay. Um, all right, well, every month on patreon.com slash TV, you can make myself or Connor read a book at one of the higher tiers, and obviously I've been working through American Vampire for one of the patrons. Um, for this month, we're doing half an issue, because, you know, I, like obviously a comic's like 20 to 24 pages, typically, Um but it's fine if there's an annual in there, you know. I'll, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, I'll, I'll just do it. It's not a big deal to have a few extra pages. Uh, but this anthology issue one, which is what's up next, is like an eighty-page behemoth. So um, we're I'm splitting it in two, and I'm mm-hmm. doing the first half neatly. There's five credited story, or sorry, ten credited stories. Mm-hmm. So um, I've read the first five, and as a bonus, Matt also read this yeah. one. Because he's been jealous of me reading all this American Vampire and had to get in, in on the... Yeah, and also I, I have up... This is the last trade that I have, so now I'm excited. I get to go spend more money on American Vampire to, <laughs> to, to go past where I was. So I am going to try to read as a bonus whenever Pete reads uh, for Patreon. I'm going to try to at least read that issue after sure, we finish yeah. with these just because we're, we're going into unknown waters for me at this point. Up to this, I'd read everything. It was a little bit... Um, I had forgotten a lot of stuff. I'd forgotten a lot of these um, because it's been so long. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember it. Because I definitely read this anthology back yeah. when it came out and I didn't remember a damn thing about oh. it. Uh, so I'll just, because the credits are all at the start of the book rather mm-hmm. than in each of the stories, I'll just tell you who all the, the, the teams are. Uh, so the bookend story, which we'll only get half of this, this yeah. time, is the man comes around and that's Scott Snyder with Albuquerque. So that's the regular team on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our first actual story is Lost Colony, which is Jason Aaron with Declan Shelvey on art. Uh, and then there's Bleeding Kansas by Albuquerque Writing with Ivo mm-hmm. uh, Malazzo on art. And then there's Canadian Vampire. Go on, guess everyone. Guess who's writing a story called Canadian Vampire? It's Jeff Lemire yeah. with Ray Fox on art. And then the last one we'll talk about this week uh, is Greed by Becky Clunan, who did both uh, script and writ art. Yeah. Here's the full thing. I have forgotten Becky Clunan was also an artist uh, up until this because I, I mm. see see Put her name. Nail. Yeah, I see her name as a writer a lot. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, let, let's let's get her drawing stuff again because I will say the art in that section was was very very nice. Mm. So yeah yeah. Uh, so the bookend is in 1967 which i think as far as other than maybe a quick flash hero there is mm-hmm. the furthest would be in the timeline uh yeah. of, of the the overall american vampire saga so uh it's basically skinner going to this little diner that he likes to go to because we know he loves the uh the licorice and yep. this this place is a licorice pie that he loves to come here for have you ever heard of licorice pie i have never heard of licorice I, pie I in my can't life imagine what it would taste like so yeah, because um, I know licorice is a, is a 
it is a plant, right? That's where the, 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 like the Twizzlers and stuff gets its name from. But I just can't imagine the, the licorice, what it, that would taste like. So leave it to a vampire to break my brain. I do not know, but uh, basically the, the chef says, hey, it's fresh out the oven or whatever. Don't open mm-hmm. the box. Let it settle before you dig into it. But then he goes to open it anyway while he's still in the diner and the cook starts sweating. Someone has obviously paid him to put a bomb in his <laughs> in his cake box. So mm-hmm. the next next page is a glorious big explosion uh, and there's some guys uh, on motorbikes watching from a distance saying, mm-hmm. oh, that's it. But then there's a big cliffhanger here where Skinner Sweet steps out. Most of his clothes have burned off. He's all vamped up with his the fangs out and stuff. And it's like, that's your cliffhanger for the bookend. So we won't get to see how this ends until next month, but <laughs> that's how the, the story kicks off. Uh, but that leads us into all the actual anthology stories. So the first one's um, mm-hmm. basically a, a tale of like a very early set of vampires coming yep. to America and Native Americans sort of encountering them. Uh, these kids find this camp of white settlers and they find dead bodies and because there's a lot of rumors like everyone's confused like they never seem to go out hunting how are they surviving the winter you know Mm -hmm. the natives don't understand yeah it's 1588 um and they've been here for three winters yeah and and the the natives are are confused because yeah they never see them hunt they never see them out and about but there's always smoke coming from the chimneys so they're there and so they you know they send some people in to investigate and what they find is is not good well, it's not even investigate. I think it's just two kids who uh, wander in because they're oh, that's right. curious. Uh, but they come back and warn the tribe who mm-hmm. are considering going and checking things out, but then the vampires mm-hmm. show up and kill most of them anyway. Yeah. Uh, absolute bloodbath. And uh, basically the tribe leader uh, goes off into the forest to try and like pray to his gods or whatever. And when he comes out later, when the, the few remaining survivors are being attacked by vampires, he stabs one in the heart with his wooden spear, and he's basically discovered... Uh, Woods of weakness. Yeah, he's discovered how to stake a vampire. And yeah. it's like, okay, we can maybe fight these guys off. But basically knowing that there's going to be more coming. Uh, yeah. so it's kind of interesting, because it kind of just feels like the... It fits really well into the idea of the white man coming to mm-hmm. America and taking the land. It just does it with this vampire horror kind of twist to yeah. it. Yeah, it's so that that's what's going to happen in a lot of these. Is they're really playing with history, and as a history mm. nerd, especially in North America, it, it this really speaks to me because the whole idea of this being called the Lost Colony, um, there is this uh, colony off of the coast of Virginia called Roanoke um, that the people just disappeared. Guy. Guy brings his family, has to head back to England. He comes back completely gone. Um, and so just the – I think it was the, the local indigenous people were the Wamapoke, which is the ones that Aaron shows the spotlight here, right? But instead of us finding out that this is Roanoke, this colony is known as New Carpathia, which as we know, the, the European vampires are, are the Carpathian variety. The Carpathian Mountains is where Dracula – the legend came from and whatnot yeah. so they were trying to get a foothold here um and the natives put up a fight knowing that this is just the first wave essentially and yeah uh, a very jason aaron-esque story it's very brutal in parts but it was also a bit of hope to it as well right so, yeah it's very brutal i wasn't surprised this was the jason aaron story yep. um it, it just kind of felt like his stuff mm-hmm. um the next story is uh, um, a bit later. This is in Kansas, and it's this mm-hmm. young couple who are coming, but he's a very progressive man in this yep. couple. 
It was basically trying to talk to people about abolishing slavery. And mm. the locals just don't want to listen to him. Uh, they think that's a huge inconvenience. Um, so, like, basically, they find out they're going to be pregnant. And th- these vampires come into town and burn down one of the buildings. Mm-hmm. And the the husband's basically left fighting for his life uh, as she has to run off. Uh, he gets bit by a vampire and she runs off. Because the story actually starts with the wife what? in the woods on her own and then it kind of cuts back right. to like, okay, yeah. this is how she got there. But it's um, like a single bullet left, right? And it seems pretty bleak. Yeah. Uh, it seems yeah. she's about to commit suicide, but it's when the sun comes up and it burns a lot of the vampires. Mm-hmm. And she's like... So there's kind of like a hope at the end of like, oh, yep. the, the dawn always sort of comes... Yeah, um, I will say, I didn't really like the art in this story. Yeah, the art was a bit of a um, like. There's a watercolorness to it, but it's very yeah. messy. Like the line work is not clear. They're kind of squiggly, um, and it made it hard to kind of follow some of the action once it started kicking yeah, off. Yeah, there's definitely some moments where they reference something, and I had to look again. Yeah, uh, yeah. to sort of see what they were talking about or like oh i, I mean i get yeah. it now that i'm thinking about it but it didn't yeah. jump out of the page at me you know yeah uh also a real quick history lesson on this one this is uh, this is called bleeding kansas which is an actual event in american history to where as they were you know american expansion was was pushing west they were trying to decide which states they were going to allow slavery in and which ones they weren't right so kansas comes in becomes a state um kind of leaves it to the people to who if they're going to become a slave state or not so what the surrounding uh, states do like missouri and because it was i think it was part of the missouri compromise um that there would be one free slate one slave state but with anyways long story short the leave it to kansas to think for themselves except people from the slave state next door start sending people so they're known as border ruffians so that, those are the guys that the um that the vampires are taking right as these border ruffians that are coming in to, to help push the cause of slavery. Um, okay. So again, I like that Albuquerque uses this actual American historical event in order to tell a story about vampires. Yeah, this is interesting. Obviously, I have a broad understanding of mm-hmm. the time that slavery was happening in mm-hmm. the U.S., but I don't know any of these specifics. So this this direct yeah. small details if, of history is interesting. If you wanna uh, want a good story, there's uh, it's it's John Brown. Uh, and his entire it kind of is one of the events that led to the actual civil war is that he essentially waged war in this bleeding Kansas against the the people that wanted slavery. Um, and and uh, it ends up one of the generals of the Confederacy is the one that stops him. So there's this very poetic part of American history. And I feel like the story wise here, Albuquerque really hits it. Right. Because there is light at the end. Right. Where, yes, we have to go through this bloody civil war. You know, but you know some good things come out of it, and yeah. I feel like that—that's here. That's the overall story that he's telling. Um, but yeah, uh, anytime bleeding Kansas, very fascinating story. If you're ever you know looking for something to read, you know uh, I'm not distracting this at Pete, but everyone that's listening, uh, yeah, John Brown, that dude, that he was a dude for sure. Yeah. Uh, next story is the Jeff Lemire one, uh, the Canadian mm-hmm. vampire. Uh, so that's the second candidate, obviously, and it's 1877. And yep. um, we're introduced to this uh, bounty hunter named Jack uh, Warnhammer, who mm-hmm. is this big Viking-looking dude. Who... <laughs> this dude rules. I love this guy, too. <laughs> who takes a job to go and... And it's not a nice job. He's basically tasked yeah. to go kill natives uh, mm-hmm. because 
this group of white guys showed up and wanted this land and they sent some of them up there to talk and because they've not heard back from them this guy who sold them the land is like oh yeah they're probably causing trouble go and kill them and when he goes up there obviously it turns out that the white guys were vampires and have like massacred mm-hmm. these people uh brutally yep. but there's one child survivor who tries to and it's very new it's very they come out at night mostly kind of vibes yep. i was getting from mm-hmm. this but as soon as it was this big gruff guy working with a like a child who now has to protect yep. i was like oh this is so jeff lemire this yep, is 100 like, this this yep. is sweet tooth in the 1880s with the vampires mm-hmm. is what this is <laughs> i didn't even have to know that it was called canadian vampire to know that it was lemire just from the vibe of it all yeah right? like you just said yeah, um, it's, it's so Lemire. So basically, this guy mm-hmm. once these vampires actually show up, he's bonded, and it's only a few pages, but he's bonded yeah. enough with this kid that he's like kid mm-hmm. unity run. So when these vampires show up and they look all evil, they look kind of like uh, they look kind of like imagine like what we do in the shadows, but they've all got blonde hair instead of dark mm-hmm. hair. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically he stands his ground he grabs a hatchet and he fights off these vampires for as long as he can so this kid can escape because mm-hmm. the kid mentions that the vampires like destroyed all the canoes and stuff so that mm-hmm. none of no one in the tribe could escape it was basically this little island where they couldn't mm-hmm. get away and this kid's been building her own canoe uh in in the daytime right? in the daytime, like, yeah you know keep guard at night build canoe in the day uh so yeah he uh he just he fights off the vampires and dies, sacrifices himself mm-hmm. whilst the kid gets away. That's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it's probably the best story in this first half just because it's yeah. so dramatic. It has this point and it feels like he's done something heroic by the end. And it's, it's yep. like, again, it's a bleak but hopeful ending. If there's one thing yep. I could critique here, actually, is that they all have bleak but kind of hopeful yes. endings. It's a bit yeah. repetitive in that well, sense. Well, I feel it's just because they're playing with history, right? And they're yeah. trying to get us up to the point of Skinner you know, where he's at in the anthology. Also, uh, there's a little thing that, that when uh, probably when I noticed by you that as as this uh, native kid gets down, they take the name kid and said that they had family that made it down to the Americas where it became a last name. Mm. Now, if I remember right, the greaser vampire killer is Travis Kid. Oh, so, quite right. Actually, this is a that's de facto, a, you know. We forgot to mention this as well, actually. Yeah. The couple from the slavery story... Yeah. Uh, their last name was Jones, so this is presumably yeah. Pearl's, Pearl's parents or line. grandparents or mm-hmm. whatever. Because right, she's she's from Kansas or Missouri, right? Like she's from Some that. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah so, so I forgot just, to mention that, but I did. I yeah. didn't notice that when I was reading. They that. were the Jones. Yeah. So the fact that you know this this uh, native kid gets it out and Joe, I'm glad you, I'm glad line. you brought this up because when I read mm-hmm. this and it said oh, I even kept the name kid and gave it on to my family i was like yep. oh who do we know who's named kid and i couldn't think about it but you're yep. right it's the kid. yeah yep so yeah good good mm-hmm. uh so now i really like that one um i think it and the art here is really good because it's obviously all these whites uh with dark lines occasionally will mm-hmm. be panels with a lot of black negative space but when yeah. the when the uh hatchet starts swinging those you know just little streaks of red are really mm-hmm. stick out and pop because it's been so yeah, there's some muted colors, but it's mostly just black and white with a little bit of, you know, tint here or there. Uh, yeah. So the, the red really stuck out, even though it's a yeah. sort of watercolor red. Yeah, it's very less is more style of mm-hmm. the art here. Uh, and, and it definitely works to its advantage. Yeah. Uh, so this Becky Clinton story to wrap things up, Greed, is basically a story of Skinner Street in the 1920s, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit before you know, the start of American Vampire, mm-hmm. where he gets involved in Hollywood because he's in Death Valley. Um, 
and it's blistering hot but this yeah. movie production shows up and they start shooting these western action scenes out in the mm-hmm. desert and basically the implication is, is that skinner is sneaking in and like draining some of them of their blood so they're getting <laughs> sick so uh-huh. the first so the first one he does this to is the actor and they basically shit we need a stand in and it's like hey skinner looks kind of like him so they get him to come in and like do like we can't do any close-ups but he can be the stand-in yeah. for the action scene so they have i thought skinner was going to kill this other actor you know i, th- yeah. I didn't think he was pretending i thought it was actually just uh-huh. going to beat him to death well so r- remind me when because he can be in the sunlight as an american vampire right yes he just not at full strength right that sounds right uh that sounds okay. right yeah okay so I remember the weakness is gold, but they yes. still have some vampire, but well, they gold. don't get burnt. Also, yeah. is it not the full moon as well as a weakness? Yes. I believe they're they're vulnerable during the full moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so but during the sun, they can be out in the sun, they're just not at full vampire strength, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you, I saw that because I thought the same thing was like, oh, he's gonna just kill this dude. But you can you can beat a man to death with regular human strength. Yeah, no, you can. But I was just like, <laughs> is is Skinner gonna just have to pull back, right? Yeah. Uh, from having to do this. But yeah, so the guy basically implies that he did go a bit rough, but he doesn't kill him or anything. Yeah. Uh, and the, the the sort of the casting ladies like, hey, you did all right. Uh, maybe you should you know try for more roles. And then the end of the, the story is that now the cameraman's sick, and that's where you kind of get, oh, Skinner's mm-hmm. picking these guys off and just slowly feeding on them, and yeah. that's why they're all getting sick. Okay. One of the things that gets me is Skinner in the beginning of, why did I come to a place called Death Valley? This was <laughs> not smart. And just him lounging in the sun, like half dead, you know, uh, and then, you know, almost by chance his also, lifeline comes in. He mentions it's like 300 feet below sea level or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Why not just scoop some water out of the ocean and put it in there, and that lowers the sea level a bit? <laughs> just fill up Death Valley. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is pretty far, right? It is on on the you know Nevada California. We border. have helicopters, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not that simple. <laughs> it could be but that yes. simple. It is the there's two times that I've definitely regretted life decisions. One of them was recently <laughs> in Havasu. The other one was going to Death Valley. Um, we went to this this date farm called in Tacopa called uh, uh, China China Creek, and hmm. uh, it, it's been there since since the 1800s, right? Uh, and because of the way that the river sits, but as soon as we got out of the car, you get hit with the most oppressive heat you've ever felt the flies are about the size of a quarter. So um, definitely, definitely Skinner not not living his best life ending up there, you know? Yeah, but this oasis has came to him and he's feeding mm-hmm. off them. It's, uh, yep. yeah, I think this is probably, I, the Lemire story is my favorite. This is my second yep. favorite because it's got a, a neat little kind of, you know, it, it kind of tells the story of how he got involved in Hollywood in the first place, yep. but it also has this fun little twist to it, which is like, oh, this is what he's doing to these people who are mm-hmm. in the desert. Um, yep. Whereas I think the first couple stories before that, the, the, there's good qualities to them, but they do kind of suffer from being kind of just the bullet. You know, we always talk about this with these anthology style mm-hmm. books, where sometimes you just don't have enough pages to really do much. Yeah. So the Jason Aaron story and the Albuquerque story, I think both have good qualities to them, and I do like how they're sort of fitting history into them. Yep. Um, but ultimately, well, as, as as full stories, though, they, they are a little bit lacking, I guess. Yeah. They're definitely set dressing for the world of American Vampire. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and I think that's okay in anthologies, because it does help build out the bigger world. 
yeah um, so i think out of yeah. these ones like i like the opening bookend as well but it's hard to judge mm-hmm. that as a whole because it's only because half. it's half a story yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah but i would definitely say lemire's story first mm-hmm. and then the cloning story and i don't know i think the, the aaron story will look better yeah uh yeah i'd probably put aaron's above the other one but it's kind of close to be honest between those yeah, two yeah. i mean i liked i liked them all like it definitely i had forgotten about the bleeding kansas one of course i remembered the jason aaron one because uh, that's why i bought the anthology was to read that story because it's you know jason it was at the time of jason aaron coming back to vertigo after mm. being at marvel uh is that they had allowed him because all of his creator owned work was still coming out through vertigo that marvel allowed him even though he was on a um an exclusive he's able to do some vertigo stuff so yeah. uh, i thought that was pretty thing but uh, yeah jeff lemire i'm i'm not surprised it did make me miss reading jeff lemire regularly uh, so i'm yeah. gonna have to look up what he's been doing it's all career uh, on stuff he's been doing pretty much yeah but i i gotta go back and and check check that out because it's we have to know, go back kate we do have to go back um yeah. so yeah that'll, that'll wrap up uh this uh issue for now and we'll do the second half uh in about a month so uh mm-hmm. that's american vampire anthology uh so i didn't rate it because it's kind of weird to rate half a book but you got me to rank the stories instead so i'll, I'll let that kind of yeah. filter in uh, or sub in i should say uh but that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week favorite panel slash moment favorite cover favorite art and well usually top five but here will be a top yeah. three uh, so um Matt, what's your panel slash moment of the week? Um, so so mine's going to be, and I don't know if we talked about it, but mine's going to be from the, the Doomsday special. But there's this one image of Doomsday sitting um, and just staring at that door, knowing that's where he has to get out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It's, just, it's very ominous. It's from behind him. He looks very small in comparison to this very large door. And it almost makes Doomsday seem insignificant. I was right. uh, I was looking at that page while you were talking about something during. Yeah. The, I just never bring up brought it up. But yeah, yeah it's, it's and a good I, page. I want to bring it up too. But then we got talking to the whole metaphysical aspect of heaven and hell and all this other stuff. But yeah, it's just very striking uh, to to see this Do- doomsday just sitting there staring off. You know, it's almost Frankenstein's monster esque too. Mm. So, but yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I'll also go with Doomsday Special. There's a few things I could pick. I really like where Martian Manhunter reads Kara's mind. Mm-hmm. I like the page where he sort of gets hit with fire. And I also just like the um, the dinner or the breakfast scene between Clark mm-hmm. and Kara. But I'll, I'll go with um, Jean reading Kara's mind. It's just a really nice full page spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, great sort of, you know, play with the art, with the, the fire inside her mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. Uh, cover of the week. There's not a ton of choices. They all do have variants, oh. at least, though. Um, mm-hmm. I do for me it's between two doomsday covers there's the uh, puppeteer lee card uh-huh. uh, stock variant uh, which is like superman with his back to us uh, facing down doomsday it's just a really nice painted looking yeah. image uh, but honestly I may just go with the regular cover which is just a very very detailed uh, you know drawing of doomsday it's very you know all the, all the little ragged uh, rock edges coming out of his body it just looks really detailed and and yeah. pretty uh, but for me, it's between those two for sure. What you got? Uh, yeah, so mine's also from the Doomsday, uh, but it's a variant, and it's the uh, the one in fifty John Bogdanove, and it's it's essentially Supergirl going up against Doomsday, uh, but she has like a a guitar, and then it says "Girl of Steel, Woman of Metal." <laughs> and it's just it's very silly. I have and... no idea why this exists. Like, what what about I... the issue? 
led to this. <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. Again, it's very I f- silly. I, I feel uh, like Doomsday... the what? artist watched Slumber Party Massacre 2 before he drew this and just thought, yeah. I might have a good, a good a guitar. Yeah, it, the guitar's on fire. You know, it's really going into the, the whole idea of calling a guitar an axe, but she's got the, the jacket look going for her. It's um, so random. Yeah, so random. Yes, fair enough. It. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, Art of the Week. I mean, it's Doomsday special, isn't that? Because it's the... Yeah. Like... I think I didn't like the art in Gotham more and Night Terrors and does have some good art in it, but yeah, it's so all over yeah. the place that it's I think by default it's Doomsday Special. Mm-hmm. But I did like the art in Doomsday Special. Yeah. Uh, worth mentioning. Uh all right, rank your three books, Matt. Alright, so it's gonna be a Doomsday Special. It's going to be uh Tales of the Titans and it's gonna be Night's End. Yeah. Doomsday Special's number one. Number two I want to say battle lines, just because at least the concepts, I think, have more mm-hmm. potential, uh, even though it's a real mixed bag overall. And then, yeah, last place is Night's Terrors, Night's End, because, yeah. So well, that's that over, thankfully. Uh, I will tell you now what's coming next week from DC Comics, and we're back to some regular ongoing comics, I'm happy to say. So next week we have Batman 137, we have Poison Ivy 14, we have Shazam issue 3, we have Justice Society of America, issue 6. We have The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, issue 10. We have Birds of Prey, issue 1. That's Kelly Thompson's uh, DC mm-hmm. uh, entrance there. Uh, Blue Beetle, issue 1 is next week, which I, I guess I may give that a try, uh, even though I didn't read Graduation Day, which is kind of following on from. Uh, we have Peacemaker Tries Hard, issue 5. City Boy, issue 4. Steelworks, issue 4. And Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville, issue 1. I guess we'll be giving that a try, since... Mm-hmm. I got you know what that is. So, yeah, not a super packed week, but definitely some regular books are back and a couple of interesting ones that are maybe worth checking out. Um, I mean, Birds of Prey for sure is probably the most anticipated thing I've got for next week. Uh, and also looking forward to Shazam and JSA uh, on top of that. So, I got, I got Ivy back, so I'm, I'm happy. Not that it really went anywhere, but I'm pretty sure Takara is back on art, so that should be good. Yeah. Um, Sorry for getting distracted there. I have some news for off of when we're done recording okay. to share with you that you'll probably be oh. very happy with. Okay, all right. Well, I'll look forward right. to that. Uh, oh, by the way, whilst Matt was talking earlier, there may have been a, a slight noise that entered the recording briefly. Um, mm. I accidentally clicked on a video. I stopped it very, yeah. very quickly, but it was just a, a noise for like a second. Hey, uh, it's, it's no vacuum from my wife or my cat trying <laughs> to get out the door right now. I forgot bothering. to bring it up, but uh, yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge that it was a thing. You weren't hearing things. Um, it was one of our videos, though, so it's not like I'm worried about copyright. But... <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Uh, anywho, uh, so yeah, that's what's coming next week from uh, DC Comics. But that has been the show. That's been episode 371 of Comics from the Multiverse. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, there's a chance it might be a me and Connor episode next week. Mm-hmm. Assuming Connor is available at any point. Yep. Otherwise, me and Matt may have to record at a weird time to yep. do something. Well, we'll, but... try to, we'll, we'll try to figure it out. Yes, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, either way, there will be an episode. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you can, of course, support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV and help keep it all coming that way. Uh, and, of course, you can help for free by liking, sharing the podcast, getting us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast, um, you know, sharing it with uh, your comic-loving friends, I guess. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. 
that is the show. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.